Welcome to Music in the Church, a podcast that brings you insight into today's diverse worship landscape by connecting the dots between beliefs and practices so that you can have a happier, healthier ministry. Today, we'll be talking about music in Lent and an easy way to plan a hymn sing. Hi, this is Sarah Bariza, a researcher and church musician living in Cincinnati, Ohio. And I'm Crawford Wiley, an organist just outside of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Today, we're talking about music in Lent. But first, this week's Try This at Church is how to host an easy hymn sing. So Sarah, you're actually planning on doing this. Yes, although ours is turning into not as easy a hymn sing because I think there will be food, but I am not in charge of any of that, so my end of things is actually still quite easy. That's good. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So what are some of the ingredients for a successful hymn sing that doesn't take all that much effort on the part of the musician? Well, one hopes that it will be successful. Um, And by one, I mean, I hope that it will be successful. (laughs) But usually when we think of hosting a hymn sing, we think of a lot of really fun, awesome things like, oh, we're going to have these choir anthems with the congregation singing, and we're going to have these special instrumentalists, and maybe we'll have some scripture readings. Yeah, maybe brass and a concertado. Yeah. Yeah, let's, let's break out the timpani. And all those things are really wonderful if you have the time for it. But that kind of planning can also be a barrier to having a hymn sing. Well, yeah, you think if I have to plan three extra rehearsals, uh, maybe we won't do and a hymn sing. if you're going to have extra instrumentalists, because every, every instrumentalist that you have, like that's more rehearsal time, which can be wonderful. Yeah, and teaching the choir the descant or mm-hmm. something is going to be, mm-hmm. you know, an extra rehearsal. Yeah. As well. yeah. yeah, so that's great, but a hymn sing doesn't have to have all of that to still be a hymn sing. So an easy hymn sing really has just a few basic things. First, a general theme for the hymns. And when you're picking hymns, you want to start with this general theme because otherwise you have basically a limitless supply of hymns. And there's so many wonderful hymns. Oh, How right, are you right. going to filter that down? And you don't really just want it to be, at, you know, Bob's favorite hymns or, you know, Sarah's favorite hymns. So you have to figure out a theme. So like, not that there's anything wrong with that. No, no. I mean, like, uh, th- well, but I feel like that would be more like a drawing on our our Baptist heritage, a singspiration, where people are just gonna call out their favorites. Right, right, right. You do want a kind of integrity to yes. Yeah, yeah. So if you're gonna have integrity to this e- event, you want to have some sort of theme. So for example, I'm currently planning a Lenten hymn sing, and the theme is Journey to the Cross. So we have this. We have cross passion elements as well as a Lenten journey, these 40 days in the wilderness elements. Right. And I've seen ones where, you know, each petition in the Lord's Prayer gets its own kind of hymn meditation. Oh, that's know, so really that, lovely. There are a lot of ways of organizing yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you need to figure out the theme. If you if you work in a church that follows a liturgical calendar, the theme could very easily relate to the season. But there's so many other themes that, that you can do, especially related to um, the attributes of God. And, and you can also just look in your hymnal and see how the, um, the hymns are organized, um, you know, and pick something from one section of the, of the hymnal. So once you have your theme, then you want to pick out your hymns. And that's also easy to do if you have your hymn in mind because you can just page through your congregation's hymnal or hymnals. Right, and this is a really important thing for making the hymn sing easy on yourself yeah. is just to pick hymns that are in your hymnal. So you don't even need to make up a special order for the service. And that that is also related to this idea of a hymn sing as a place to sing, which is not the same as a place for teaching new songs. That doesn't mean that right. you couldn't yes. do that. But that certainly 
another barrier to putting on a hymn um, yeah, because yeah, yeah. how are you going to do that? There's like all the pedagogy and all, all the strategies that go into teaching a hymn make it more work to do so. And if your yes. like sub goal for hosting a hymn sing is to encourage an, a congregational identity as we are a church that sings, well, you're not going to help people feel like we're a church that sings if you... If they don't know how to sing it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. yeah, yeah. Exactly. So first thing was decide on a general theme. Second thing was pick out your hymns. And, and once you have your hymn list then you can narrow it down to fit your planned amount of time. Yeah, exactly. So you want to narrow down the list to something that fits your amount of time. So say you have 30 minutes or whatever. You want to allow about three minutes for faster hymns. And some hymns are closer to four, some are closer to two, but roughly about three minutes for hymns. Right, and it depends on the number of stanzas. Like, For All the Saints is a hymn that everybody knows, but there are, what, six, seven stanzas to it? So that's going to take longer. Yeah. Yeah. So then the next step, the third and final step, is to order your hymns into groups. And I like to group around like two to five hymns into sort of sub-themes, also taking into account with these little groups of hymns, a nice sprinkling of hymns that are more energetic and more contemplative. You probably don't want to sing six slow hymns in a row. Oh, right, right. And you can also look at your list and see if any of these are more gathering hymns or parting hymns that can function as a bookend to the event. Oh, that's a really good idea. So for instance, we're going to end our hymn sing with Abide With Me. Right, right. Which fits with which fits with the theme, but also is a an, an excellent closing hymn. Exactly, yeah. So So at this point, your planning for a hymn sing can really be done. You have a hymn list, you're you have it in order, and you're you're actually good to go. That's the that's the bare minimum for a hymn sing, and a hymn sing based on just that is still gonna be a wonderful event. There doesn't have to be any other special things going on. Right, because the joy, the peculiar joy of the hymn sing is just singing hymns. Exactly. Crawford, you and I have had wonderful little impromptu hymn sings sitting in my living room. Let's just sing random yeah, hymns exactly. for 45 minutes. And that's a wonderful, yes. wonderful thing. Um, one of the things I love about a hymn sing is that it's wonderful even if two people are there. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. The The value is in the hymn singing, not in the this was an event and was it successful or not. So you started, Crawford, you started out saying, oh, Sarah, what makes a successful hymn sing? And I would say, well, that there is hymn singing. Yes, exactly. Yep. Which is why it's important to choose hymns, to reiterate what you said earlier, that people know, because if people aren't singing the hymns, then what you didn't have was a hymn sing. (laughs) Exactly. Okay, so I I do want to suggest a couple bonuses that, depending on your idea of easy, may or may not work for you. And one is to have an instrumental arrangement of a hymn maybe two or three over the course of the event. And on one hand, that sounds like, well, you're not singing hymns then. But this can be a nice minute and a half, two minutes of just people catching their breath. Yeah, almost a palate cleanser. And if you tie it to a hymn, perhaps this could be like a chorale prelude leading into a hymn that they're going to sing. Well, you give them time to meditate on the hymn text. Especially if you give them the number of the hymn in the hymnal before you play the piece based on that. Yes. So that leads into my other idea, which is to plan specific stanzas and singing variations, such as saying, oh, on stanza two, we're going to sing a cappella." The easiest way to do this is to have no program and simply announce the hymns. And that also gives you some leeway if you realize, oh, this is actually taking longer or shorter. Well, you can have little, you know, you can have a couple bonus hymns to add if you have if you happen to have the time or don't have the time, right? Right, right. And so if you're if you're just speaking this, you can say, oh, we're going to sing, you know, hymn 353, and we'll sing stanzas one and two. Right, right, exactly. You can also 
signal to people, oh, what, what stanzas you're going to sing, or oh, we'll have upper voices on the third stanza, something like that, if you have a printed program. However, of course, a printed program is a lot more work. Yeah, it and is. And with the hymn sing, with the hymn sing that I'm currently planning, um, we are going to have a printed program, but I'm not the one who is preparing that. So on my end, it's still a very easy hymn right, sing. Right, right. And if you have members of your choir there who enjoy singing in four parts out of the hymnal, you know, that, that can be a good thing to do on a verse that, for instance, you're having the congregation sing a cappella. And that doesn't necessarily take a lot of rehearsal time in the sense that an arrangement might. Yeah, because hopefully, I mean, you're singing, Oh, Sacred Head Now Wounded. Most of the people in your choir will have sung the parts from that at some point in time. Right. And perhaps know the parts very well, depending on your, depending on your congregation and your choir. So those are the three steps to planning an easy hymn sing. And I actually have these written out on a blog post at musicandthechurch.com slash easy hymn sing. So you can review all these ideas and uh, hopefully use them to plan a hymn sing in your congregation. Next up, for our In the Field segment, we'll do a deep dive into the ways you can use music to mark Lent as a significant season of the year. As Crawford and I were thinking about music and Lent, we're thinking about it particularly from the angle of how to make this music significant and special, but not celebratory. Because usually when we think, oh, this is special, we think, oh, this is really fun, this is a celebration, this is Christmas, right? This is Easter. Right, it's kind of like haul out the holly sort of moments. You know, or the Easter lilies or something. Yeah, but Lent is also significant and special in its own way, but not in a celebratory way. Yeah, so you want people to have associations with Lent so that from year to year they can draw on a repository of musical and liturgical associations. But you don't want to do that in a way that feels like gilding the Lenten lily, which is, you know, a terrible thing to do anyway, because you shouldn't have lilies during Lent. That's for Easter. Um... <laughs> No, no, you, no, you so, don't. But anyway, one of the things to keep in mind is that something that makes Lent different from other seasons of the year, you know, besides our all giving up chocolate, is its return, at least in the Roman Rite, to simpler, less ornate, kind of pared back forms of the mm -hmm. liturgy. Mm -hmm. A simplicity that can be reflected in our music. Yeah, which means that rather than... So, for instance, it's easy to think, oh, you know, great music for Lent, and then think of, you know, really beautiful anthems by Bird or Talus, you know, which are, which are definitely mm -hmm. appropriate for Lent. And maybe in some churches would be a simpler... Yes, if you normally sing eight-part choral music every week, well, then maybe during Lent it would seem simpler just to sing, you know... And lucky yeah, you! Yeah, you know, but, but I think for, for a lot of church choirs, for mine, for yours probably, it's, it's not necessarily going to be a pairing back if you sing Bird's five-part setting of How Solitary Is the City. You know, that's not going to... That's going to take a lot more work, mm -hmm. actually. So I think something that, that works for me, that has worked for me, is to think of Lent as a time to do really simple chant-based music. Um, and, and by simple, I really do mean very, very simple. So we do, for instance, mm -hmm. a really simple setting of the Kyrie at the beginning of Mass, and the people literally just repeat back what the priest sings, and it's very simple. But we only do that during Lent. And you can do that because your priest sings well. Yes. Oh, yeah. Well, that's... So that's a... something with this idea about a cappella settings is this emphasis on simple, because it's, of course, much more difficult to do a cappella music. 
Yes, so if you're doing music without accompaniment, you might want to look ahead of time, and this is something that might seem intuitive, but isn't always. Just look at the piece and make sure that it remains homophonic, because if you have, you know, ten measures where the choir is singing polyphonically, that's going to take a lot more rehearsal mm -hmm. time, you mm -hmm. know, rather than, oh, we're singing alto tenor bass with a soprano melody, no problem. Yeah. yeah. So related to this idea of simpler music for Lent is what many, many congregations do, which is having no prelude or postlude during the service. Yeah, that's true. That, uh, that of course, is always an option if that's what your congregation is used to. And sometimes even when the congregation is, is used to it, I've had... um had people come up and be like, you know, I would love it if you played a postlude. I wouldn't mind hearing a postlude during Lent. Yeah, and then you might want to explain why there isn't. Yeah, yeah, and but but I, I do think that you have to be um, cognizant of the sensibilities in your congregation and understanding what is going to, like what their norms are and what folks are going to understand. Like, do they understand the absence of a prelude and postlude as somehow penitential and simpler and returning to an older form or do they just see it as oh gosh i kind of wish that we had some nice music before and after mass you know or whatever or oh what a nice break for the organist yeah i hope yeah. she's preparing really awesome stuff for easter season you know which is not really what we're going for another way to signal the distinction between lent and other seasons of the church here is changing the musical style itself which is broader than just thinking about acapella music yes for instance, if you normally plan a longer prelude or postlude, this is assuming that you want to continue doing preludes and postludes during mm -hmm. Lent, you might think of using music from the Orgelbuch line or the Neumeister chorales, mm -hmm. uh, music that's very short, doesn't call attention to mm -hmm. itself. Well, it's essentially a hymn arrangement. Yeah. No. Yeah. And this is this is something that you do with your congregation, right, Crawford? Yeah. So at St. Jude's, I frequently do really short preludes and subdued postludes. I mean, this is uh, specifically comparative to the rest of the church yeah. here. But yeah, this is all relative. If we're talking about changing musical style, well, you have to know what you were comparing it to. Right. What What is your base? What What are you going from? You know, so for instance, last week, a normal Sunday in ordinary time, the postlude was a Bach prelude and fugue. Um, so, you know, big plenum, kind of joyful. And long. Ebullient music. That's a lot of music. Yeah, yeah, probably 10 minutes. Yeah. So if, in contrast to that, your postludes during Lent are, you know, maybe two minutes at the most, and, you know, involve just flutes, or maybe an eight-foot principal or something, which is really specific organist talk, but, you know, it's it's something that marks a distinct contrast. In principle, it's about, it's about saying what is simplicity. Well, simplicity is relative to whatever your normative or whatever your Precisely. celebratory music is. So if you're in Epiphany, which is a celebratory time of year, and you consciously think, oh, I'm, I'm going to do my bigger pieces here. I'm going to program bigger choral anthems. I'm going to have extra instrumentalists. Yeah, your choral anthems might end on, you know, a big fortissimo chord with the swell opening up and the congregation kind of moved by the joy of the choirs singing. Whereas during Lent, you might want really contemplative, soft music. You know, not, I don't mean that in a cheesy way, just something that reflects the congregation's own journey yeah, through Lent. Yeah. So another thing that can signal an aural distinction between Lent and other seasons is changing the mass setting. Yeah. And at yeah. St. Jude's this year, we're going to start teaching the congregation the Schubert Deutsche Mass, uh, which is very restrained, 
simple, you know, not not a big boisterous organ accompaniment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But if you have one mass setting that the congregation associates with Lent, perhaps also with Advent, you know, both of them are penitential seasons, you don't necessarily need a large repertoire of mass settings. You know, I've known a lot of congregations who used something based in chant, so an acapella setting based in chant for their their mass setting. But also I'm thinking of Protestant churches that don't even sing like, say, a Sanctus or a Gloria, as would be common in a Lutheran or Episcopal church. But if you're in a Presbyterian or Baptist or otherwise congregation where you have recurring music such as a response to the offertory anthem or something that you sing right. with communion. Many churches will sing the same stanza throughout Lent or throughout Advent. So some congregations will sing a stanza of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel throughout Advent. And you can do something similar in Lent where you have a recurring song that signals, ah, oh, we're Yeah, and you might right want to make it something that sustains interest throughout 40 days. <laughs> I think some of the some of the songs that that are commonly done every Sunday in Lent do not bear repetition. You don't want to hate it by the end of Lent. That's not really yeah, the point. Yeah, yeah, and hopefully something that if you're accompanying it, you can vary the style of your accompaniment. Yes, yeah. We've been singing um, "Deck Myself, Thy Soul with Gladness" throughout Epiphany at the Episcopal Church where I work, and initially I thought, oh, I'll always play that quietly, right? But Actually, the more I'm meditating on the text throughout this season, the more I meditate on the text, I'm realizing that there's a lot of expressive potential that that isn't limited to, you know, mezzo forte at most. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That text goes places. Yeah. So, so if you're going to sing a recurring song or stanza of a song, choose wisely. Yes. Next up, we have an idea that is actually not musical at all, which is to do a Lenten devotional with your choir during your choir rehearsal or a Lenten-themed prayer. And depending on what's normative for your choir and how long your choir rehearsals are, you could you could do a very short prayer, or you could actually have a spoken or read devotional to open up your choir rehearsals. This reminds me, when I was in the choir at Notre Dame, we would sing the appropriate seasonal Marian antiphon at the end oh, of rehearsal lovely. as a kind of prayer. Yeah. Which, obviously, that only works, you know, in a specifically mm-hmm. Roman Catholic But you can context. take the principle and apply it to whatever context that you're in. Yeah, it's a way of signaling mm-hmm. simultaneously the community's prayer life mm-hmm. together mm-hmm. and connecting that to the liturgical seasons. So I can imagine that would work really well by just taking a stanza of a really well-known hymn that the choir could even memorize mm-hmm. and sing that at the mm-hmm. end of rehearsals. Mm-hmm. I Honestly, I haven't done this, but it seems like a really lovely thing to do. You know, I tried to do that once with a recurring evening hymn, but I found that I was always running up until the very end with music that we were learning. And Oh, yeah. And, oh, you know, I, I really hate to ever have a choir rehearsal going over. I, I would always end right on time. Yes, and yes. So, so that's actually why I'm saying put something at the beginning of your choir rehearsal. Sing, sing a Lenten hymn, do your Lenten devotional, have your prayer at the beginning and not at the end because otherwise it's very likely to be left off. Right. And and again, simplicity goes a long, long, long mm-hmm. way. Yeah, I'm not I'm not saying you should deliver a, you know, a 5-minute homily. You don't want to devote precious rehearsal time to something that is literally yeah. just for the yeah. rehearsal, yeah. you know. So. But I, I feel like that I, that practice can actually be We should discuss this on a on another episode, the ways in which one can build musical community with your choir. And that is one wonderful way to do that. Throughout the five Sundays of Lent, you probably won't want to restrict yourself just to the Lenten section of your hymnal. Because that's pretty short. If, in fact, your hymnal has a Lenten section. 
you'll want to include hymns from other sections of the hymnal that you would find appropriate during Lent, which is a mm-hmm. lot of them. Uh, hymns talking about mm-hmm. the passion. Christian life, Christian ministry, life in Christ. Yeah, but one of the things that you will want to be careful of, and I say this because I've done this myself accidentally, is just look at the text all the way through and make sure that you don't end up with a long sung refrain mm, of yeah. hallelujahs. I remember my first year here at St. Jude's, I thought, oh, let all mortal flesh keep silence would be a fantastic hymn to sing during Lent. You know, it's a kind of solemn hymn. Mm -hmm. It's in a minor key. And I bet you were thinking, how come no one has ever thought of this before? I've never sang this in Lent before. So suitable. Yeah, yeah, I was was very pleased with myself. But I didn't actually open the hymnal and read it all the (laughs) way through. I just went on my memory of it as Mm -hmm. a very solemn hymn. Well, okay, so then, as you can imagine get to the 5 p.m. mass, and we get to the refrain, and there's this whole string of hallelujahs. So we had to change it in the next mass. Um, which is a, a cautionary tale. Um, make sure that you look at the text all the way through, because you really don't want to end up with that surprise as you're playing it. That's pretty great. So another approach to marking Lent as a different kind of musical time is to play very long preludes. And of course, Preludes vary from church to church and musician to musician. My preludes tend to be five minutes or less and typically quiet. But one way to mark Lent is to make the prelude much longer, such as 10 or 15 minutes longer, and tell the congregation what you're doing, that this is specifically a meditation time. Right, so that it's intentional. Yeah, that marking this as a, this is a meditative time. Here are the hymn texts. Here are scripture passages to meditate on if you're playing something that isn't necessarily texted and saying, this is this is what we're doing. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and this is also like... Which is, which is interesting because this is completely the opposite from abandoning preludes during Lent, but they can both accomplish the same thing, which is to signal to the congregation that this is a distinct time of year. Yeah, and it it also wouldn't work if it is already your practice to play a very long prelude. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. But if your practice, as mine is, is to play a shorter one, and your your church uses prelude music during Lent, like that's their custom, then this, this can be right. a way, this can also be a, a way to have a meditation time that isn't, you know, oh, I'm going to give an organ recital at 2 p.m. kind of thing. Right, right, right. right. You're, you're effectively giving people that opportunity without asking them to come back to church at another time or take time off of work or whatever it is. A lot of people do show up to church early to pray. And so you are, in a sense, yeah. If, yeah. if the music is all meditative and if this is something that would be well received by your congregation then Mm -hmm. this Mm -hmm. can enhance that prayer yeah and it can also work particularly well if you have printed programs because you can signal what hymn you're you're playing yeah you could even or list the number of the hymn text in the hymnal Mm -hmm. there the options for this are endless you you could have poetry you could have something visual yes there are quite a few options options here to, to reach to reach the congregation in various spiritual ways. Yeah, something to invite the congregation to find a quiet meditation of their own. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and something that sets it apart from Easter. Yeah, precisely. Long, quiet preludes are a sometimes food. <laughs> yes, yes. So um, we have something different for the end, though. It is not all uh, wandering in the in the desert for 40 days for Lent. We, we do have one exception. No, indeed. No more than Advent is all penitential either. So the fourth Sunday of Lent is Laetare Sunday, which comes from, like Gaudete Sunday in Advent, comes from the first word of the introit 
in the Latin church. And, and what does Gaudete Sunday remind us? Gaudete Sunday in Advent is the third Sunday of Advent, and mm. it's a time of increased rejoicing. Both Sundays, the liturgical color in the Western tradition is rose instead of violet. Mm. Uh, and it's marked by joy. It's marked by less penitential sense, I suppose. Yeah, so, so Gaudete and Latari Sundays are... They've they have similar functions in the liturgical calendar. Yeah, for lack of for lack of a better way of expressing it, they break up the monotony of a really long penitential season. Mm. Mm-hmm. So how do you approach that musically? So it's an opportunity for the choir to sing something more upbeat. Uh, I always do since I since I mentioned I usually do shorter and softer preludes and postludes during Lent and Advent. For this Sunday, as on Gaudete, it's a is an opportunity to have something a little bit more mm. joyful, you know, that ends on a big triumphant major chord, reminding us that Easter isn't all that terribly far away. So there you have it. Those are a bunch of different strategies for marking the time of Lent as something significant and special. A simpler time, but a beautiful and distinct time of the year. Yeah, Lent should have its own peculiar musical traditions. So if you'd like to see any of the resources that we mention in this episode, go to musicandthechurch.com slash 10. Get in touch. Email us at musicandthechurch at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 513-580-4282. You can also subscribe to our monthly newsletter at musicandthechurch.com slash sign up. We'll be back next Wednesday.